0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Creative Psychopaths. This is just Mark again at the top of the show. This is the begging and pleading bit um, where I beg you to share it with um, with people that you know and plead for you to go on to whatever podcast you listen to uh, this, this delightful podcast on and give it a review, give it a five star review if you can because that really helps the podcast and uh, it means you'll be listening to more ramblings in the future. This week I'm talking to Mike about a Guatemalan horror film, La Llorona. It's a wonderfully short movie and we had a great time talking about it. The only thing going into this movie is it does have some dealing with uh, rape and child murder. We don't spend a lot of time talking about it and it certainly isn't the main part of the film. However, if you think that's something that you don't want to listen to, then give it a miss apart from that i normally have a little joke going into the podcast but this week i thought i'd learn a little bit of spanish and give you a nice little spanish introduction what i will warn you though is that um i am doing a little bit of an accent when i do in it it does sound a bit weird so uh here we go disfruta del podcast cosas de miedo welcome to another episode of Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast, where each week I talk to a guest about their history with horror movies and a movie of their choice, with a couple of fun questions at the end, creating a delightful horror sandwich. This week I'm joined by Mike, who I'm going to say hello to now. Hello Mike. Hello, good to be here. How are you? Very good, very good. That's good, glad to hear that. Coming to us all the way from America, wow. I'm I'm from Iowa. If you look at America, we're like right in the middle. Oh, the wonders of modern technology for me to be talking to you all the way from my dining room. I don't know. That was a wonderful bit of filler chat while I uh, looked through my phone to try and find the questions for this podcast. Because even though I've asked them, I don't know, 15 or so times now, I still don't know what they are. So we are gonna get going with it if that's all right (laughs) ready to rock and roll okay so what is the first horror you can remember seeing
1: okay so this is a like it's a tie i don't remember exactly which one it was it was either the first poltergeist poltergeist movie or the first alien movie both of which i watched much much too young uh one Mm -hmm. of which i watched at a at my babysitter's house she showed me Poltergeist, which is you know traumatizing, um, and uh, the other one was at a daycare center where they showed us Alien, um, because in the eighties they would just show children horribly violent movies and just be like, "There, watch that."
0: What Alien at a daycare center? That sounds like that's terrible. <laughs> it's a great movie. It is a great movie, but I'm not sure it is when you. How old would you be then? Uh, I don't Five? know. Maybe, yeah. maybe maybe eight. Seven or All eight, right. something like that. Okay. Well, I think it seems like most people's horror journeys started out around seven or eight. Mine mirrors yours slightly in that Poltergeist was the first one that I can recall seeing, and it was my sister who. Well, I think we watched it as a family actually, but it was certainly my sister that put it on, and um, it affected me for a long time. I didn't get into horror for a long time after this. Was so it the clown? We- the clowns would got me. Um, I think. As I recall, it was the skeletons in the swimming pool. And I remember for a long time, not not wanting to bath afterwards. Like I I, I couldn't get into the bath because like back in the 80s, we didn't really shower. We just bathed all the time. Yeah, no, it was, um, it sucks. Um, <laughs> so when did you actually become a horror fan?
1: Oh, I think it was probably about the time when, you know, so I think that like video cassette, Uh, like rental places started getting big in kind of the late 80s, early 90s. And like, as soon as you could start renting horror movies, then for me, it was kind of off the races because at that same time, there was this thing, which is kind of weird today, where uh, studios like Paramount did this a lot where they would pay smaller studios to just make tons and tons of direct-to-video horror. Um, Mm. And they actually had like a halfway decent budget. Full Moon Entertainment got a lot of my rentals. Um, And so I watched just- all of it I, I would rent just you know four or five movies at a time and just go straight through them so just watching a ridiculous amount of horror movies wow so yeah so you
0: piled through as many as you could get your hands on
1: <laughs> subspecies puppet master uh, trancers uh yeah demonic toys all that stuff
0: wow yeah oh so you've got quite a sort of legacy of uh, of horror movies you can uh... You can quote, quote, well, not quote, but definitely say you've seen quite a few of them. I'd love to say that's me too. I mean, I love horror movies and I think I've seen a good chunk of them, but I think there's a lot, there's a big, a certainly big gap. Well, I think it depends
1: on when you get into horror and I got into it and and stayed into it basically since I was, you know, 10, 12 years old Um, and I've been watching horror for the last, well, I won't say
0: a long time. I think I didn't, I'm answering all my, question, my questions here, but I, I, I don't think I got into it until around Scream. And then it was after Scream, I was like, oh, I like this. And then I started sort of going back in time and, you know, discovering that I'd missed the 80s. <laughs> there's certainly a lot to see. Yeah. <laughs> even now, even now, I find now that uh, there's so much horror out there because I think it's, the thing that people can make on the lowest budget i've said this to people on the podcast before it's amazing what you'll withstand regarding quality in horror because <laughs> most of us will just sit and watch anything yeah it re- there really is
1: at every tier of production you can find a horror movie at that tier they're super high budget and then your your uh, what is it dust and diamond stuff that costs you know it was made for you know the cost of a night in a hotel room or something so it's every price point there's a horror movie. Yeah,
0: true. Well, we did before paranormal activity on this, which was, you know, such a low budget, but still stands now as like the highest profit movie made.
1: It's a great um, movie.
0: Yes, it is. Yeah. Very good. So what is the scariest horror movie? So I
1: I this is a really tough one. And the thing that I settled on is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because I think the like the atmosphere and you know the 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 performances of all the actors, you know the heroes and the villains, especially the lead actress, um, is just like it's it it feels like a documentary, um, and it's just a it's it's a really really disquieting sort of movie. I mean, there's a bunch of other movies that I think are perfectly good responses, but I think I'd have to say the one that I go back to more than anything else is Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Yeah, and I think. Like found footage movies owe a lot to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like you say, it feels very real. That's one movie that I, I, I said on last week's podcast, which technically hasn't been released yet. That I don't like, but I, it's not that I don't like it because it's a bad movie. I don't like it because it makes me feel grimy. <laughs> it's a, it's an it's a, it's oily. It's an oily yeah. movie. There's like. It's like
1: there's that movie just needs like a a power washer over the whole thing.
0: Yeah, it's really is it really is um an awful awful one. The the one thing I do like about that movie is that um I've forgotten what the final girl is called, but she, she really runs through windows. It's pretty impressive. Like when it comes to escape, she's like, "Well, I'm not dicking about with this." She just runs straight out of windows.
1: And she actually, in the in, in the scene where she's running through the, uh, the the forest, she runs into a branch, like just full oh, that's on. That's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, full on runs into a branch. Uh, there was so many people that got hurt. Like, that, that movie is is worth just looking at all the production stuff, because that was not a fun movie to make in, in any way, shape, or form.
0: No, no. I, I th- I'm sure I'll get around to doing it on here one day. Someone's definitely going to come along with it. So what is the best kill in a horror movie? So this one, I, I, I swear I'm going to talk about other movies. Um,
1: but again, it's sort of shock by It's the hook scene. Uh, it's um, probably the best introduction of a villain in any horror movie I've ever seen. Uh, and you you don't even have to watch the movie. You can just you know pull this out of a you know on a YouTube clip somewhere. Um, and I mean the violence and with which he comes out, and the fact the scene is basically mm-hmm. bloodless. I mean you don't really see any blood on screen. And I love I, don't get me wrong. I I'm no I don't mind a lot of blood no. on screen. Um, but it is sort of the ratio of the least blood to the most violent that I've ever yeah. seen. Um, and it's just terrifying. And it's like slamming the door closed and it's just, it's a great scene. And it's just like, it just hits you just out of the blue. Like there's not a lot of buildup to it. It's just kind of like she's looking around the, the first floor of this house and all of a sudden just bam. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it, you're right. Um, I think I lost your audio slightly there. So we're talking about uh, Leatherface, the first kill
1: yeah the i've always just heard of, heard it referred to as the meat hook scene but you know uh yeah basically basically the first the first big kill in i Texas think that's himself. actually the
0: second kill because i think the guy gets killed first um it is literally just um a hammer straight to the head you
1: he might be right yeah i yeah, think you're right
0: you're right this this among it's certainly it's certainly yeah like you say actually that movie is largely bloodless like you said it there's not there's not much in it at all it's very um it's certainly one of those horror movies that you build in your head a lot more than happens on screen like saw (laughs) well the later saw has got pretty yeah but that first saw there's very little gore in it of course i guess saw kind of uh maybe
1: naming not surprising mirrors text gents on that too because obviously you know text gents on Masker 2 gets quite bloody um and um uh, yeah but it's uh that, that seems it's very yeah. affecting the, the so it's a really really great movie. yeah it is um, yeah. i'm glad i wasn't on the production staff
0: though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's move on to the next question which is standout effects. so i didn't i cheated on this one i
1: apologize i cheated um i just i didn't say a movie i said a name and it's tom savini Oh, okay yeah. um because yeah. just like everything tom savini does you know whether it's you know the original uh friday the 13th um the uh, what's the one uh it's the other one in the woods that he didn't do a text change, or he didn't do a friday the 13th to do that one um and it's going to escape mm-hmm. my brain um you know, a bunch of the, of, of the dead stuff. Uh, and he's just, he's, he's just a master. Yeah.
0: I, I, well, I absolutely agree with you there. Yeah. And um, we did actually, we did Tom Savini's version of um, Night of the Living Dead on, on here. And. Um... Is that the one with Tony Todd? Yes.
1: As the yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which was enjoyable. That was really enjoyable um, because it was different. It was different to the original. Um, and I appreciate that. I mean. Not a big fan of remakes as a general rule, but in that particular one, at least it was different. Not his best effects, but I think certainly, like you say, pretty much everything he touches stands out as great. When he shows how practical effects
1: just hold up so much better than most of the digital effects. Yeah, um, I mean, the the example that I always use is that if you watch the first Star Wars prequel movie and A New Hope, it's like those movies were made, what, 30 years apart, roughly 20 years apart. Um, And yet, for some reason, A New Hope still looks better than the prequels because they did everything practical, even though the technology wasn't as good, the practical effects just look better.
0: Yeah, you're you're right. And I'm a practical effects guy. To be quite honest, that's why I put the standout effects question in there. I mean, I don't mind that people enjoy CGI, but I think as a general rule, it's best used just for cleaning up, you know, rather than actually creating effects um my biggest pet
1: peeve is digital blood splatter is the worst it is just the worst it's like such a like a a, a glaring like take you right out of the movie thing, yeah where you have like a digital blood spraying and it's like i could do that in like on on a thing myself you know it's just it's so i would rather
0: not see blood than see digital blood. yeah i totally agree with you um so the next question is uh, a movie that needs a sequel or movies that need to stop making sequels. However, if you've thought of an answer for both, then go mad.
1: I actually did. And it's going to be interesting because you said where you started off. My first one is going to be ones that don't need more sequels. And that is Scream. I, lo- I love the first Scream. Movie. I think the first Scream movie is a really mm. good movie. And I think the second Scream movie is okay. Mm. And I think the third Scream movie is getting pretty bad. And I feel like the Scream movies have just kind of been going downhill and i don't want any more screen movies but for people to do want more screen movies more power to you and as far as the one that i would like to see the sequel of the most that is an absolute no-brainer and that is uh, rise of leslie vernon um <gasps> behind the mask rise of leslie vernon because uh, that movie that movie is so good and clever and i think it was almost too clever for what it was and i think a lot of people didn't get it and it just didn't get kind of the wide you know viewing that it should have gotten that movie is just a that's a master class in how to make a a like an know om- it's not even a parody horror movie it's an homage mm, horror
0: movie yeah that is an that is an absolutely fantastic movie um i'm actually not going to talk too much about that one now with you because i really want to do that on here and i don't want to spoil it for anyone who might listen in the future but you should watch it you should oh, yeah, watch absolutely it's a fantastic it's a fantastic film i actually took that on another podcast years ago Like I say, I actually don't want to say too much about it because I think it's so good that if you're listening, if you're listening to this, watch that movie, stop what you're doing now, find a copy of that movie and watch it. And I mean, stop what you're doing. I don't care. Even if you're mid childbirth. I don't know why you'd be listening to this during mid childbirth, but you gotta listen to something. (laughs) To be fair, nobody listens to this. (laughs) uh no that's not true we're doing all right yeah but no the screams so the screams i like and i don't i don't want to come
1: off as a scream hater i don't hate the scream movies i just see what they've been doing with them and i just i feel like i feel like there is a good scream sequel out there like um where you because you know scream started off as being this sort of uh um taking the piss out of uh the slasher genre in a way and kind of doing it in a clever way and but the thing is slashers aren't even really much of a thing anymore I mean they still make slash movies obviously but they're not ascended in any way whereas I would think if you want to do a screen movie today take the piss out of the a24 elevated horror which i love those movies but there is so there, there is such a good script that somebody who's a lot smarter than me could write you know sort of lampooning the a24 elevated horror yeah. um and in screen and this the latest screen movie they just like mentioned them they were like elevated horror in passing and I was like Well, that's not really anything. I'm
0: quite. i one of the people who's not with you on screen, but I think, I don't know where I land on that because I'll happily watch more screen movies, but I'll happily have them stop make them as well. So I'm sort of in the middle on that one. I get it. So what is your favorite franchise? So this is kind of an interesting one because
1: I don't like most of the movies in this franchise, but I still love the franchise. Um, And that is Hellraiser. Um, there are definitely more bad Hellraiser movies, significantly more bad Hellraiser movies than there are good Hellraiser Absolutely. movies. But I still I I love Doug Bradley. Um, I love the characters. I think it's just it's really cool idea, and there's like it's like so many great ideas that have just never quite coalesced into one like fantastic no. horror movie. Um, but that last one they just came out with a new one called Judgment, which is not amazing, but it's definitely a step up from where they kind of had fallen down to.
0: Yeah. Um I think I only like the first one of those, which is amazing. Practi- the practical effects in that one are fantastic, but I think that is my, that's the only one in those that I can, that I've even got time for. I'm an,
1: I'm an apologist for some of them. Like there, so I like one and two, three is very much of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's of the time I was watching a lot of horror movies, so I'm okay with it. Uh, four is a, Four, is you could do a really interesting episode just on the production of part four because um, the the theatrical version that we have is basically nothing uh, close to what the original script was. Um, It was completely cut apart by the studio. And then five and six, I think, are also kind of good in their own way. And then the new one,
0: Judgment's not bad. I might have to dip into the new one. I don't mind watching them. I just, um, none of them have stood out to me as like, apart from, like I say, the first one um so what is the worst horror movie you've seen oh this is so
1: easy because you know there's a lot of like low budget movies that i, I f- would feel bad about like you know piling on like dust and, you know one of these other you know low rent filmmakers do not have a lot of money so it is somebody that was not uh did not have a low budget somebody that had everything at their disposal and still made two of the worst horror movies i've ever seen and that is somebody that i loved uh growing up in the band white zombie rob zombies uh, halloween one and halloween two but specifically halloween two i believe halloween two is the worst film ever made yeah well, well
0: i agree with you um well i agree with you in terms of it's a very bad horror movie i don't mind the first one i uh, know i know it's oh, um I, I hate
1: those movies so like i hate the first one a lot and then somehow he managed to make the second one even worse than the first one. Oh, because i love the halloween mm. movies like halloween's way up there on my top set my favorite yeah. franchises and it's just like, it's like you put a coat of oil all over everything and it's just like everything looks dirty and uh, all the people are bad and yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I actually think the only thing I like about that first one is, and it's actually what, make, what makes the original great is that you don't know anything about Michael Myers. But I think what I like about the Rob Zombie one is the, the sort of start of it when they, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, they give you a little bit more of the kid. Mm-hmm. But I think those like, two things are completely opposite to each other. But that's the only thing I really like about that movie.
1: The first one very definitely feels like Rob Zombie
0: wanted to do a prequel, but the studio wanted to do a remake, so he just kind of did both. Yeah. yeah, just dipping into that again slightly. The, the problem with that prequel part is it makes you ask the questions that you don't need to ask in that original film. Like there's something about that prequel where you go, well, like, sorry, how exactly did he grow up to be this monster of a man? Um, considering that he's completely catatonic. You know, you don't ask those questions in that, in that original movie. It doesn't come up. Whereas I think that one makes you do, <laughs> makes you go, hang on a second. How the hell is he? In- he was catatonic on, a, he was catatonic on a weight bench. How is he a know? monster of a man? um <laughs> but Yeah. No, good answer that. Uh, so what's your favorite horror movie?
1: I don't know. I, I want to preface this by saying that it, it would be different any day you ask me, you know, depending on my mood and everything oh, yeah. else. It's a stupid um, question. I, I couldn't, I couldn't answer it. <laughs> I'm going to say Cabin in the Woods Ooh, today. Yes. Because I like Cabin in the Woods a lot. I feel like it's, it's almost a cheat because it's kind of a, an homage kind of a film. And maybe that shouldn't be the top horror movie of all time. But that's my answer for right now it's great it's a great cast great scripts um
0: it's just it's fun it's breezy yeah it's just a great movie agree with you more and it's different you know despite the fact that it is a homage it's something different and i yeah i agree i think it would probably be in my top 10 that's for sure um cool uh i don't think we need to spend too much time on that one right so that is the first slice of bread in this horror sandwich. We've got it. We've put a little butter on there or whatever it is you like having on there, a little bit of, I don't know. Maybe you don't like a bit of moisture on your bread. It doesn't matter. Let's get off the sandwich thing. So today we're going to be talking about a film that you brought along, which is, now, I think I know the right pronunciation for this, but I'm going to say it badly first and then go in rightly. Go in so, being a heathen that I am, uh, it's La Llorona. However, I think it's more like La Llorona. Yeah, in Spanish, when you see the double L's, it's always pronounced like a Y. Yeah, so it's La Llorona, um, which is a 2019 movie, a Guatemalan horror movie, no less, which is somewhat loosely based on a sort of South American folktale. And I'd like to, at the end of when we go through the plot, talk a little bit about the folk tale, or as much as I know about it, because well, we'll get there. Eh? <laughs> um I'm interested to know why you chose this one. Okay,
1: so I was actually there's about there was about three movies that I was really really thinking about, and the reason why is this. So this movie came out in 2019, which is also the release date of another movie called The Curse of La Llorona. Uh, mm-hmm. To make things more confusing, which is not a good movie, which is not a good movie at all. Um, and so what I see is. Here in the U.S., we see a lot of times American filmmakers will sort of be interpreting the folklore of other places and other people. And, you know, so we get we get sort of the American interpretation, Uh, whereas this film is and this is it's actually, I guess, a Guatemalan and French production. Like it's a production like the French production crew, but Guatemalan director and Guatemalan actors. I I wasn't totally clear on exactly how that worked. But it's essentially the the writer director is Guatemalan, and it's it's his vision of this sort of folklore that comes from there, sort of combining with this guy, um, uh, you know, this this this, uh, military dictator. Um, And I just think it's it's nice that we can see other cultures portraying their own folklore in the way that they see it, rather than it sort of having to come through, you know, a Western, you know, British or American lens, Um, and we kind of get to see. This vision through the, through their eyes,
0: yeah, it's certainly one that I would have never picked out as well. You know, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have made it onto my list. I don't think of movies I was going to watch next. So for for that, you know, I'm thankful that for doing this podcast and having people come along with stuff. So you right though; it's um, definitely something different. And uh, so the director for this is J Jero Bustamante. Was that be right? Close as I can get. And this movie start. <laughs> this movie stars Maria Mercedes Caroy. uh Caroy, would you go for that? As Alma, uh, Sabrina De La as Natalia, Julio Diaz as Enrique Monteverde and Margarita Kennethique as Carmen. There are other people in this, but those, those are the, like the main characters, I would say. This movie, I think, debuted August 2019 at the Venice Film Festival. And then it was picked up in 2020 by Shudder. And and I, of course, have a Shudder subscription. So it was nice to have a movie I didn't have to pay for. I bought most of the movies so far that people have recommended, which is fine. It it makes me increase my horror library. But was one thing
1: to mention on the cast, the cast is almost entirely very new. Like there's really not any seasoned actors in this movie. Oh, really? Very, very few of these actors have very much in the way of previous or, or subsequent acting credits. I never would have picked up on
0: that. Never would have picked up. On I would neither. The acting
1: was fantastic.
0: Yeah. Right. So, will I'm going to try my best to go through the the plot of this. So, so this movie starts with um, whispered prayer. At first, we don't get any subtitles, so it's not necessarily we don't know what's hap- happening here. Wait, wait, and th- it's all there's a
1: reason for that. The reason is whenever you're not seeing subtitles, that's because it's indigenous people speaking in indigenous language. Which is a really big part of this movie: uh, Indigenous
0: versus non-Indigenous peoples. Oh right, okay. So, so it's like that's Indigenous language. Right, right. okay. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> it's all all women. We see Carmen and Natalia, who are like obviously the uh, mother and daughter in this. And as the prayer is happening, we get a very very slow reveal, zoom out, as it were, and the sound builds and builds. It's a really good scene to open up with. Then we skip to a men's meeting where they're having a briefing, which sounds like someone's going for a court case. We don't yet know what what they're talking about, um, but they're obviously uh, talking about potential life sentences. There is a little girl who lives in the house, Sarah, and she's asking if uh, the bad things she's heard about her heard about her grandpa are true. They are spoilers. Uh, we see the maids, uh, the maid doing prayer, which. I think it's basically sort of to it's like a protection of the family sort of thing, or at least, um, you know, to save the main guy who who is Enrique in this movie, Enrique Monteverde. Uh, Anyway, we skip to him and he's sleeping and he hears something in his sleep, which is really difficult to hear. But later on, we get running water, picks out a gun, then he goes, he goes to the shower. But as soon as he gets to the shower, it stops running. I don't think he actually turns it off. No, it just stopped. No, I think it just
1: stops, yeah. And I, I heard weeping. I heard, like, somebody crying in there. It is very, It is very light. The soundtrack is kind of, uh, you know, I, I hear the term atmospheric and I don't never, never know quite exactly what that means, but uh, there, there is a lot kind of going on in the sound it's mm. very subtle.
0: This movie is good for sound, um, in terms of the way that they use it, um, especially. Later on, which we'll get to, um, but he does hear crying because he investigates the downstairs. Like you said, the, it's a good use of music here; it kind of builds. Then his sort of wife, his wife shows up investigating, but he does sh- shoot at her. He somehow misses. I'm not quite sure how that goes down because from the look of the scene, it looks like he definitely shoots her. Yeah, it does. The, the first time I well, the second. So I watched it.
1: You know, when I, when it first came out, and then I watched it again yesterday um and yeah for a second i was like wait did he shoot her and i forgot that because it does look like he because he (laughs) was close Um, yeah to be fair he doesn't exactly look like he's in the pink as far as uh you know physical health and uh
0: i'm not sure he could hit anything at that point but it definitely seems like he shot her but anyway he doesn't he doesn't get he doesn't he misses her the maid valerina turns up that yeah that is right isn't it valerina um (laughs) And he's basically asking, you know, who heard the crying? You know, search the house. But everyone else is sort of more sort of in denial of the fact, really, that, you know, they just think he's sort of losing it, really, based on stress that we are yet to know about. But, yeah, like I say, the wife is okay. Uh, after this, the serv- the ser- all the servants want to leave. They're somewhat afraid, and they want all their benefits. And then we cut to the scene where... <sighs> I've got to admit to everybody while I'm doing this, I'm not doing the plot for this much justice, because you really—it has to be seen.
1: It's a very, it's it's a very slow burn kind of a plot. It's it's hard to just kind of give a, you know, this happens, this happens, because there's a lot of things that are kind of, it's 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 not a it's not a fast moving slasher movie by any stretch of the imagination. That that weird word atmospheric. I,
0: I put myself into this format though, so this is what's
1: going to happen. One thing to mention at this point is you you notice, and this is going to be a theme throughout the film, and it's something that, especially you know, two white guys from the West talking about this is, is strange to talk about. But you notice that the family is very fair skinned, and all of the servants are very not fair skinned. Yes. Now, yeah. In Guatemala, this is because they are primarily uh, indigenous or you know partially indigenous, um, and the family members are people that are more related to the people that you know came in and colonized it. And so this sort of dichotomy between the colonizer and the indigenous is is a very very important part of this movie.
0: They tend to um, refer to them as natives, don't they? Right. In 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 the movie, but yeah, like you say, there is that that divide that's very apparent, very apparent. So next we cut to a lady who's covered, which is would be the cover for the film, like the main poster. Really? And um, what you were saying before, so she's obviously talking in what would be the native dialect. So she's talking for some time before we actually know what she's saying, because she does then go on to be translated. And she talks about guerrillas and obviously that meaning the um, the military, not actual guerrillas. And it's talking about how they basically destroyed her home. Uh, there was rape, killing of men. They all escaped to the mountains, but of course there was no food. So they returned, they tried to return back, but they're caught again, sexually abused. The thing is that they're obviously she's saying that they didn't do anything basically, that this just happened to them. And obviously we're getting a sort of while we're doing this, it's doing the zoom out again. We're getting this it's, zoom a, it's a really
1: good shot. I lo- I, lo- I love the way that shot does it just it's like you're seeing it's interesting because she's talking about the scale of the violence and mm. it's like the shot is revealing this is revealing scale at the same time. Um, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it's like, you know, as she's speaking, things are getting bigger and we're seeing more as she's talking and telling us and sort of, we're learning more about it.
0: I think, uh I think, I think you're right. I think that was intentional. I think every shot in this is intentional. Every shot in this has got, does something to, um, reveal reveal itself whether it's to you know make you feel more claustrophobic or to see the grand scheme of everything like i say i'm going through the plot of this normally i wouldn't have any issues with this but for anyone listening you do i would recommend actually watching this film because visually it's fantastic and the visuals of this movie are what make it because it's like you say slow atmospheric often there's not a lot of talking Oh, yeah. um it's very just watching these characters on screen anyway so like i say it does do it does do a sort of slow reveal and it turns out that it's a trial which is investigating genocide um which is the um enrique as we'll we'll just refer to him as enrique from now on the suggestion is that he's was targeting a specific race which um i've got to say Ixl or mayan mayan ixel i don't know if that's pronounced correctly but like you said it's the sort of uh, I, I think probably just to say indigenous because i mean they would consider basically yeah.
1: anybody who's not you know of spanish origin yeah. to be you
0: know it's just that that not good that does come up that word does come up his defense is basically that he's in innocent and he wasn't aware of any genocide but he does get me he does he does get found guilty of genocide at this point he has um heart attack panic attack some kind of attack so they have to rush him to hospital. Let's see. Well, he's when he's sort of in hospital, or just before he's in hospital, there's this again coming coming back to like another shot, which is a slow zoom in this time, where we have mother and daughter discussing, you know, whether they believe he was that he was capable of this genocide or things like this. And then again, like I say, it zooms in on these two people. So you start off with this wide empty shot really there's nobody else in the shot but those two but you've got obviously them at a distance and then it it zooms in on the two of them and i would say that the mother is a little bit in denial whereas i think well i think they're they're both
1: in denial really i think the mother is like it's like almost she she's almost made peace Mm. with her denial like she i think if you were to you know really nail her down to brass tech she knows that all this stuff is probably true but it's like yeah but he's a guy and you know how it is Whereas the daughter, I think, is sort of conflicted about her denial where she's like, well, maybe, but maybe there was a reason behind it. It's like, I think she's maybe trying to rationalize it in her head a little bit, but maybe not doing such a great job. And yet,
0: like you're sort of saying, it seems clear that they're both well aware that, that he is the monster that he's been made out to be. But I suppose in terms of if you break it down, I mean, he is her husband, he is her dad, you know, so it is obviously going to be harder for them to accept that that this thing um anyway we so we cut then to him being in his hospital room and the decision that he was guilty for um genocide has been annulled by the constitutional court so there's obviously quite a lot of corruption uh within the government
1: yeah i'm guessing the constitutional court in that case wasn't exactly a you know legitimate adjudicative body
0: (laughs) so he's um basically free so they take him home in an ambulance the ambulance is attacked. It's. Uh, this is another sort of good scene because the way the ambulance is attacked, they're obviously hitting. The, there are people hitting the ambulance, but the closer they get to where he lives, the, obviously the more people there are outside. So this sound of hitting gets louder and louder and louder. No hablen con la prensa, directo, por favor.
2: 100 metros. Listo, senor. Quédate atentos García. Sí, señor. ¿50 metros? Todo está bajo control, no se preocupen. Estén atentas a mi señal. Bájense. ¿Entendido? Tranquilas, es una manifestación pacífica. Es pacífica.
0: ¿Cómo es posible que hayan dejado pasar a tanta gente? the crowd from now on the crowd that are outside the house will be quite specific uh, throughout the whole of the film now sort of zipping around ahead of, uh, of myself you can sort of hear them nearly the whole time the rest of the, the rest of the movie wherever you wherever you are you can hear this crowd outside
1: and they very much become a part of sort of the sound design of the film too because now on top of all the other sound stuff going on, there's always their chanting, the drumming, and all this other stuff. Crowd making a,
0: a big thing of it. All the servants have actually left, so Valerina sort of sends away for someone else. Uh, a woman shows up in white, and she's looking up directly at Enrique, and uh, well, if Lux could kill, he would definitely somewhat be dead. She shows up. She's obviously a bit of an oddball, and we don't hear, actually, she doesn't talk for quite some time, in fact, throughout most of the movie, she doesn't say much at all. We have this uh, bit where we see Sarah's head underwater. And uh, oh, no, sorry, not Sarah's head underwater. Alma's head is underwater, um, which is a really, really good shot. She looks like I guess she's in a barrel or something. But the way that they film the shot is amazing. Her hair is spread out and it's just a fantastic shot. Like I say, they're obviously trapped in the house Alma sort of settles in, she finds a frog Which she shows to Sarah And bricks start getting thrown in through the window At this point, Sarah goes missing We hear lots Of counting as Natalia Searches for Sarah And when she finds her Counting, obviously Sarah's got her head In the water and she's basically She's just learning to hold Her breath But it's uh, It's an interestingly intense scene Considering the end of it evening um enrique wakes up sort of i think he sees alma in the pool and he has oh no it tell her like, during the day he sees her she's cleaning the pool out and he has a bit of a he has a bit of a peak uh we find out that alma had two dead children just glossed over that there. <laughs> we will get to that though enrique gets out of bed again and he sees alma swimming uh, she's swimming fully dressed he follows her uh walking to the servant quarter uh there's water everywhere uh she's in the shower sort of cleaning herself uh there's quite a lingering look from alma to enrique then the lights suddenly come on we find his wife there and obviously there's no water on the floor and she suddenly screams he's hassling me and he's got himself a cheeky little boner yeah he's got himself a little little bit of a boner a bit of one anyway he's not a well boy um
1: well, in the white and in the wife, I think says something to the effect of he always liked native girls. Yes,
0: she does. Yeah. Well, uh, um, she sort of says this in this again, another fantastic shot where all three generations of women are sat on these stairs on these stairs just talking. And she says that at this point that women have always driven him crazy, especially natives. Tyler apologizes to the maid. Uh the wife shows up and tells Alma to stop wearing such a tight uniform. Because it was her fault. Yeah, of course it's your fault. <laughs> Absolutely your fault. Natalia asks Enrique to apologize. Well, I don't think he does. Their mum, Carmen, starts looking really unwell, which is um, a, an interesting move for her character because I haven't said before, but she's most of the time through this very prim, very proper, tight-bunned, tight-lipped sort of kind of woman. But she has this sort of, the way that she looks sort of is a sort of descent, really.
1: Well, I think my interpretation that I think, and, and again, I'm, you know, I'm not the filmmaker or anything, is that... You know, unlike the daughter, the daughter is kind of cut off from a lot of this, except she knows. I don't know if we I don't know if they've got to that part where they talk about how her husband disappeared mm. under very mysterious circumstances. But um, the mother knows everything. I mean, I think she essentially knows everything that's going on. And I think Alma showing up and the protesters outside is kind of this catalyst for her where it's like bringing all this stuff back to the surface, because in her mind, I think before the trial, this stuff was all in the past that it was all kind yeah. of over with. And Alma showing up and the protesters showing up is kind of this like, wait a minute, this stuff is still here. It's all still going on. He's still the same man. Um, and I think maybe that's part of the catalyst for her to kind of go through the stuff she goes through.
0: And I think also, um, just adding extra to that is obviously she was expecting the trial to be the end of it either way. Hmm. Um you know guilty he would have been gone and innocent uh it would have been fine for everybody but of course this the way that it's handled is obviously completely different so like you say it is a sort of there's no closure there at all uh yeah like you say sarah uh, no sorry uh natalia asks enrique about sarah's dad like you say it uh it's not quite sure what's going on there, but let's say it's implied that he was made to go missing.
1: I think it's pretty safe to say that Enrique wouldn't have had any problem having him killed if he felt like he
0: needed no. to be killed. Um So we cut to what I would say is the first of Carmen's dreams, where it seems like she's hiding in a field of fire. Uh, She runs to a hut hut with children in which, being scared in the hut, she urinates. But then also when she wakes up in bed, she's done the same thing too. Then later on, we have Sarah underwater with Alma counting. It seems like she's drowning at this point, but actually Alma just saves her. So not saves her, but at least pulls her out. Let's see. We've got Alma and Sarah start looking out of the window um, and she's uh, almost saying it's him. And we see sort of pages of people who have been killed in the genocide. But uh, Natalia sort of sends them away, but then looks out and sees uh, one of the people in the picture staring up at the at the at the house. Again, we talk about Sarah's father with Latona, who is like the bodyguard, who actually is quite a I quite like him as a character. Yeah, I thought he was good. I thought he was very good. I think I think he did a lot with not
1: very much. Like there's not really, I mean, you know, that's the first time we've mentioned the bodyguard now. Um, so it's kind of like you think he's sort of a second tier character, but I thought he kind of elevated that. Um
0: Yeah, yeah. No, he, he's all the way through it. I think I think the only reason I haven't mentioned him is because he's not, no point, is he sort of pivotal to the plot, really. But like you say, he is, um, he is good. Let's see, Carmen is streaming again, and this time she's being dragged uh, by her hair by soldiers. Uh, children are screaming. When she wakes up, she's crying for a long time. It's a long, long scene um, of her just crying, which going by what you were saying before, the fact that these are all sort of non-seasoned actors, amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she fantastic. was fantastic. At this point, she really is starting to look different. What what whatever oh this background slap oh I missed that Uh, that was that was previous to this um, Carmen slaps Enrique in the background again really great scene it's not clear what she slaps him for I think because he's looking at Alma right probably
1: again I think I think all this stuff it's like bringing stuff up for her that she thought was going to be kind of in the in the rearview mirror yeah
0: there's this weird scene with Enrique's bed where he's going I know what's making me ill. And then him and Valerina push the bed, but it moves so fast. The bed really moves out of the way fast. I don't know if that was purposely done that way or whether it was just such a light bed that they moved it so easily. Or I don't know, but probably a production thing or weird... something. I don't know why it just goes. <laughs> um, like, so there's lots of damp behind it. Valerina says to Alma later on that nobody from town knows her. So, yeah, we finally cut to uh, the night time. Uh, this time we hear the crying become a lot louder, the crying that we heard right at the beginning. Sarah walks into the grandpa's room and unplugs his oxygen tank. Latona gets up as well. He's investigating this crying. And while he's there, two children sort of, I want to say, accost him. That's not right. They kind they really of, lead him, sort of lead him away. Yeah, they do lead they just him away. They kind of take him by the know. hand. That. That's a creepy scene. That is a creepy
1: scene.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think this. They- this particular sort of build-up now that we're getting to, which is sort of somewhere near the end of the film, is this is where the creeps come from, really. Aside from what I would say is mounting tension all the way through the film. So, yeah, Sarah uses the oxygen tank to sort of jump in the pool. Another great scene, the way that they do that, because obviously this the tank drank, drags her right to the bottom of the pool. Enrique sort of investigates the pool, and he sees Alma in the pool, um, but obviously she's not actually there and he shoots. I really didn't want him to kill Sarah, but he doesn't. He just grazes her arm, but then uh, Natalia comes out obviously with a gun and she makes him go back in the house. Frogs everywhere now. Um, I'm assuming, so I'm assuming that,
1: that first shot of, of Alma with the frog has got to be sort of biblical. You know, the idea that the plague of frogs um, like is plague, one, yeah. one of the main plagues. Um, and then, you know, so she first to see with one frog and then there, now well, there's tons of frogs. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it is something something of a plague. And in the garden, we see uh, some children standing out there. There's noises and shouting. Sarah says that Alma has known her grandpa a long time. And, and the only thing that she has, Sarah, is not to drown. Then we see more people in the garden, slightly more people, then even more people, all to the point basically where the garden is filled with people right up to the windows. And getting back to the
1: sort of dichotomy between, you know, uh, colonizers and indigenous people the people in the garden are all all indigenous, indigenous
0: people. people yeah well presumably well it's not presumably these are all the people that have died in the genocide there are candles everywhere and valerina is doing this sort of prayer for forgiveness for them uh, saying that, that they don't owe anything for the general's debt then carmen suddenly goes into a trance again in this trance carmen is alma um, or at least we do see that
1: and I think she probably always has been. I think that's what the dream's always Yeah,
0: been. Yeah, yes, I think. I just didn't say that later like, because, although I think it's easily implied anyway, it, it was easy to figure that out that that was the case. Uh, but we see from Alma's point of view that the general is asking, you know, tell me where the gorillas are. But she doesn't, basically doesn't know anything. And he sort of, um, well, he doesn't sort of, he gets his soldiers to drown her children. It's just a truly harrowing scene. Uh really awful to look at. What awful to watch. Yeah, probably probably
1: should mention, maybe should mention it earlier, but like if you are somebody who's bothered by like violence against women, violence against children, um, maybe give this one a pass. It's not, it's not especially violent, um, but it's very clear uh, what's going on. And, you know, it it's they very much put a human face on all the on all the violence.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that actually, because that could trigger somebody, couldn't it? Where have I got to?
1: Uh, People in the garden. And, uh, uh, oh, uh, Valeriana doing the prayer.
0: Yeah, no, the children are drowning. And then Alma gets shot. But obviously Carmen isn't shot. So she chokes uh, the general, but she chokes him in the dream and then in real life. Um, And then we pretty much cut to a funeral. There we see another general. Uh there is loud crying, a water fills the bathroom, and then we hear my children shouted. And then that is the end and of the And that general,
1: meeting. I think who's standing next to Enrique in her dream. Um, the one that's standing next to him when he shoots her.
0: Oh, I did not pick up on that. I don't know why I didn't pick up on that.
1: I don't, th- I don't think I picked it up on the first time I watched it either. I think I picked up on it on the second, on the second watch. So.
0: Yeah. Well, this is my, this is my second watch of it. Um, but my second watch was my notes watch. So, but what I will say about this is I enjoyed it much more the second time around. I think I enjoyed it much more the second time around because sometimes I think it's better when you know what's coming. Um, and I think I also appreciate how visually stunning it was. Um. Whereas I think what happened was the first time I watched it, I was getting the tension of it. So that was sort of had me on, on edge anyway, because the, the tension isn't in this movie is so um, odd and created by, well, like you said before, the word is atmospheric um, because it's not. Everybody always uses that word. I never, it's like when I see something, I can say, okay, that's atmospheric, but I couldn't describe what atmospheric means. No, no, no. <laughs> but um there's a difference i think between like let's say a paranormal activity has a mounting tension whereas this doesn't have a mounting tension it's got a mounting atmosphere
1: yeah uh, i think
0: that's right i will like i said I, I really enjoyed it i'd recommend anybody to watch this i think i know um that i put out on the facebook um and i, th- I think some people were sort of more might have been a little put off by the subtitles which I actually do get, I do get it, but I think in this case, you shouldn't be put off by it. (laughs) You should um, totally watch that. The only thing that I wanted to really discuss with you on, on this going into it is that I did a little bit of research into the actual um, La Llorona. um, There's one other thing I wanted to
1: mention, if I could just very briefly,
0: before we talk about that, Um,
1: that, that, uh, well, this is, fictionalized it is only partially fictionalized the the, uh, genocide in Guatemala was a real thing um, and it was largely perpetrated by somebody named Efrain Rios Mont Mont I can't pronounce names at all and he was the de facto president of Guatemala from 1982-1983 to and throughout the whole civil war um, about 200,000 Guatemalans died so it was a it was a very, very ugly time, and he was very much focused on uh, uh, killing Indigenous people. Um, and he died in 2018, uh, uh, very much uh, un, unavenged upon, which is kind of sad, but just wanted to mention him.
0: Now, I wish I'd known, I wish I'd known more of that. Well, it wasn't just today, before, before today, because that makes me sound really unprepared. But before today, I did put some research into, into more... Like I say, I wanted to know more about this actual folk tale. Um, but to be quite honest with you, I could I could go through the folk tale, but I don't I think that's leading away from the movie a little bit because what I want to say to you is that this doesn't seem to fit the folk tale. Well, I think the problem with La Yorona is it's
1: it's different for different people. Um, because in some versions of the folk in, in some versions of the myth uh that La Yorona is a villainous character who drowned her children hmm. and is now sort of a cautionary tale for you know bad mothers or whatever but in other versions she's not in other versions she was i think forced to drown the children by her, uh, her cheating husband or something like that so it, it, like a lot of folklore i think that you can if if you look in the right place then you can find yeah different versions of of, of the of the lore um so Lie Your Own is kind of one of those, I mean, it's like a werewolf. Like, I mean, you can find a million different versions of what a werewolf
0: is or a vampire or anything else. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. And, and and I did I did actually come across quite a few different ones. Like you say, it, um, at some point, she's sort of uh, something of a jilted lover. And, you know, in, in, in other cases, she did this to save the children. And, you know, what I didn't get was, it just didn't come across as like this, what feels like this spirit of vengeance, which is what I don't even know if she really is in this or whether Alma is La Llorona. You know what I mean? Because it does, despite her children drowning, that's the only thing that sort of fits fits the myth. So it seems strange, but uh, circling back round, what I did read and actually listen to a podcast about at some point as well is that as folk tales goes this is one of their most important ones one one that really stands you know stands above the rest so i think it's um it's interesting and it's not it's not to, it's not for me as well you know like like you say as a westerner really to question what they do with their um with their folk tale i just thought it was i just thought it was strange that they took this folk tale and turned it up on its head slightly yeah it's definitely not sorry and that's why
1: like so i watched curse of la llorona uh i don't know a month or two ago or fairly recently not a month like a few weeks ago um and because i wanted to see like sort of the american lens version of light Your and i thought that was an awful movie I, I if you like curse of la llorona more power to you but i i thought it was just kind of uh, very much like cookie cutter oh we got a curse oh we got to get rid of a curse kind of a movie that was just very much just kind of blah there by the way there's actually a new uh legend of la llorona that came out i think just in the last couple of months all right i haven't watched that one yet but um yeah i mean i think they're very definitely using the legend to kind of talk about some other things um it probably it definitely isn't what i would say if somebody wants to know you know the sort of the, the complex origins of that myth it definitely isn't that like this isn't describing that um but i think it's 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 more about uh, and, and again, I think there, you could have an interesting discussion about whether Alma actually is Yorona or whether or not this is something where the presence of a young Native girl in this household is bringing up all these negative uh, memories and, and thoughts um, of of the mother. Right. Um, because you know, I mean, obviously, in, in the film, we see these things that sort of confirm that Alma, you know, died and all this other stuff, but. You know, we you could chalk that up to being oh, certain people interpreted certain things, but I mean, it brings up the idea that uh, Valeriana is probably his daughter.
0: Yes, yeah, um, I, I did write that. I don't know why I missed that as part of the as of the plot, but yeah, um, it, that is part of it. Yeah, and so either you could you could probably spin things around to to a degree
1: if you want and say that lie your own is a myth even in this movie, and that it just sort of you know uh, pushed the mother over the edge and pushed the family over the edge. Um, with this guy that they know all the bad
0: things about him and they kn- like they know they know he's a bad guy yeah I, and i think you're right actually i think la Llorona is a, a myth in this film because that's why all the staff leave all the servants, right, yeah. all the servants yeah. leave because they heard this crying which is obviously associated with this um or maybe they didn't hear the crying
1: maybe they just heard him saying that he heard crying which i guess kind of amounts to the same either
0: way because they ask him they ask him i think whether the crying was close or far away oh yeah that would make a difference if it was cuz it was close then that
1: means she's closer
0: no it was um it was a really interesting film a really a, a great film that i enjoyed and i'm glad that you i'm glad you brought it along um now i will just go to the facebook group just to find out what people said about it but matthew put that he hated it but <laughs> Um, and he later on went to say it's exactly what you think it is very bland, safe, and samey. But I think that he might have watched The Curse of La Yorona. I was gonna say that's very bland and samey. <laughs> I, uh, I get is- I get the feeling that he might have watched that because I can't see anyone coming away with it, away from that with that opinion. But you know,
1: I well, it's, it's further complicated by the fact both films came out in the same year,
0: yeah, yeah, but you know. In saying that, if this was the one you watch, obviously, I'm not a gatekeeper. You're totally entitled to your opinion. Totally entitled to it. And the only thing is Jade said she hasn't seen it, but she's intrigued.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't judge people based on the films they like or don't like. Except uh, for maybe Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, but how can you like that? It? <laughs> <laughs> it's just not possible.
0: No, that that's the one thing I have always wanted to maintain on this podcast is that you could like what you want to like. You know, it doesn't matter to me whether... You like a film that I think is is, is poor because enjoy what you like. Guilty, pleasure. guilty pleasures don't exist. If you like it, don't be guilty. Right. So I do have a little uh, review system on this, but it's really two tiers. So it's either a creative psychopath or it's shit. I think we both agreed this is a creative psychopath. I think it's a very
1: creative psychopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be keeping an ear out for uh, crying people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually uh, did de-
0: but then again I didn't do any genocide, so I think I should be safe. No, you should be okay. I think I did actually end up going on a bit of a YouTube journey after that because um I don't know why I say I think I did. I know I did, because there's actually quite um a few YouTube videos out there of people actually having captured La Yorona crying. So um you no. Know, scary stuff. I would
1: say I would say this one is probably if if you're somebody who likes fast-paced slashers.
0: This then this is probably
1: isn't quite your speed it's not
0: for you no. <laughs> right anyway so uh, that was the filling in this horror sandwich so we've put the whatever you whatever you want in your sandwich what do you want in a sandwich what would you have in a sandwich uh, not marmite. not not marmite <laughs> so we're having not marmite in this sandwich so the last two questions i'm going to ask you is a couple of fun ones which is what is a scary moment from a non-horror movie that you remember?
1: Okay, so there is a movie called Mr. Mom starring uh, Michael Keaton from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It's just a goofball comedy about a guy. It's it's cuz back in, you know, the 80s, if you were a guy and you had to like vacuum once, that's like comedy gold right there. Um And uh, so there's one part of the movie where the vacuum cleaner turns on when he's not using the vacuum cleaner. And it's supposed to be a funny scene, but I was like 10 years or not even that. I was probably like, I don't know, six or seven years old. And that movie scared the ever loving shit out of me. (laughs) Um, And I was terrified to go near the vacuum cleaner for like months after that movie came out. And it's just like, you watch it now and you'll be like, how could anybody be scared by this? It's like a, it's just kind of a, you know, BS, you know, uh, by the numbers, Uh, comedy movie but yeah that scared me
0: no uh, do you know what that is why i love asking that question because it is you know pulling out these things that you know someone else might not find scary but it has an impact yeah no really great um and finally if you could make a non-horror movie a horror movie what would you choose
1: i want to see a slasher version of fuller house (laughs) okay give michael myers a chance at those people yeah is that make it dark that's a sitcom right well so full house is a show from when i was a kid mm. um i don't know it was really big here in the states i don't know if i made it outside the states very much or not but um and then they just started it up again with the actors at you know the yeah. age they are today um and it's it's the cringy like they've sort of embraced cringy comedy which i don't particularly like cringy comedy um and yeah so do I want to see Michael Myers hunt those characters?
0: Yes, I want to see Michael Myers hunt those characters. <laughs> that would be really interesting. I'd really enjoy that. And actually, um, I think there's a TV show that was made recently that flicks between um, a sitcom and a serious show. Is that Kevin Can Go F Himself? Yeah. That was a really good show. I liked that. Yeah, that was a really good show. Yeah. You know, if they did something like that, but. Put a slasher into the series bit.
1: i would be really good.
0: Mm. I'm stealing well, the
1: horror shows I feel like cut. There's a lot of there's a lot of not very good horror shows out there. So I don't know. I'm, I'm always nervous about new horror shows because you get you you get your Black Mirrors which are great. Yeah, and then you get some of your like like I'm sorry, the Scream TV show. I just couldn't. I just couldn't with the Scream TV show. I don't
0: think I even watched the Yeah,
1: it was it was something.
0: Right, brilliant. So that was the final slice of bread in the horror sandwich. Um, We've made a not Marmite horror sandwich, um, but because it's a horror sandwich, we're going to do something awful to it and put Marmite on it. So, you are now having a Marmite sandwich. So tough luck. Um, Fair enough. Before we go, have you got anything that you want to uh, plug?
1: Yeah, uh, we have a YouTube channel called Intoxicated Masculinity, which is a very clever title. um and every Wednesday I will do uh cocktail instructional videos and every Sunday we put out a video on discussion um I'm not sure when this is going up we just recently did a super uh controversial episode two episodes on guns um uh and then we go from very hardcore political topics to very light topics uh like for example last week we recorded an episode which you probably will have seen by now um which is on our top five wrestling entrance themes so uh, our discussions can pretty much run the gamut of just about whatever we feel like talking about. Um, and if you want to get mad at us on politics, you can do that. If you want to get mad at us on the fact that we didn't mention Ric Flair's entrance theme, then you
0: can get mad at us on that too. You didn't mention Ric Flair. At least tell me you got to Hulk Hogan. Well, yeah, obviously. Okay. I'll let you off then. And for all the rest, you'll have to watch the video. <laughs> Yeah, excellent. Well, I will um put a link to your YouTube channel in the show notes for this. Um this episode will be going out a week on Thursday. This Thursday will be sore. Right. Okay. So that's it. Thanks everybody for listening. Um as always, if you want to join the Facebook group for Creative Psychopaths, you can do each week. Uh that is where I put up which film that we're going to be doing next. And you can drop a comment in there and I'll mention you on the show and uh if you want to be on the show uh creative psychopaths pod at gmail.com and uh the last thing to say is bye he saluted oh sorry
1: (laughs) we're not doing video goodbye